You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. This episode is brought to you by Zeiss. Hunters need good glass, and with a Zeiss SFL or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars, you'll be on the hill longer and seeing further. The lens diameter has been reduced by 2 mil, making it possible to decrease their overall weight by up to 20% compared to the Zeiss Victory SF models. Not only that, the SFL binoculars are up to 30% lighter than comparable products from competitors. Find your local Zeiss SFL stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. Okay, so this episode's going to be a little bit different to what we normally put out there, guys. And one of the reasons being is, well, I guess Mark Latham's probably someone to have more of a formal interview with being, you know, once... I thought the main reason it was different is because I wasn't there. Well, that too. Um, why <laughs> weren't you there? There was a new snack bar opened up down the road or...? A few things that are missing from that conversation. One was me, two was our banter, three was any food chat. So I can understand if our numbers aren't great on this episode because I know people listen for the food conversations and they just weren't there on this one. In fairness, you missed out. The wife put on a really nice spread and you were supposed to be up here. Oh, I saw and, a uh, photo. And I did take a photo. I saw a photo. And sent it straight to him because, you know, I knew the solo eater would be devastated. I don't, I don't put on a spread mm. when you come up. I suppose you know because you don't take me hunting, so it's a bit of a uh, <laughs> a, a payback. But uh, it was a bit different not having you there, and it was very formal. But I think in the current climate with the New South Wales election and everything that we're seeing going on across Australia with the WA caliber restrictions, with bow hunting bans in SA, with the uh, very reduced duck, duck season, stuff. yeah, I just think it's. It's something that us hunters and shooters, we need to be a bit more vigilant and we need to be talking about this stuff. And even if you don't like politics or politicians or parties or all that, and some of it, it can get a bit dry, I appreciate that. Uh, this is the way we keep our sport and this is the way we, we need people in there fighting for our way of life because I love what we do. Uh, I want this for, for my kids and my grandkids and we can't have the opinion of someone else will do it. And um, One Nation's policies, and, and all we do speak about is the hunting and shooting policy. There's some good stuff in there for us and things that we've spoken about previously, Dodge. Yeah, we've, and one of the things we've harped on about is it's not so much that we need more shooters, but we just need less antis. And I think having someone like this, it's no secret that I'm not into politics, right? It's not, it's just not something I do, not something I spend time worrying about. But having friends like this in high places and he says it in the interview we just got to toe the line we've got to keep keep at it and not let it get away from people's minds keep it in the forefront so i um again like you said with election coming up it is a dry topic but it's important topics the access to national parks something we've spoken about and suppressor stuff and things like that it's all very relevant to us and very interesting so i yeah wasn't there for this one i had a sick kid at home and stayed for that but unfortunately i missed out on the interview and the food spread uh you get to listen to the interview and we'll put a photo up of the food so for those that miss out and in fairness i did send you a doggy bag down uh i did do it by snail mail but uh you'll get it one day 
Yeah, my dogs will eat it in the mail. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Look, I hope you do enjoy this one. Uh, it was a very good chat, in my opinion. And uh, but we'll be back to our hunting and shooting podcast, surrounded by food. Next episode. <laughs> Can't wait. Here we go. Okay, tonight we've got a special guest with us. We've got the Honourable Mr. Mark Latham, the New South Wales leader of One Nation and member of the Upper House. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, mate. It's uh, great to be with you and congratulations on all the success you've had. It's a good sign for hunting, isn't it? It is. I appreciate that. It's been a, uh, a roller coaster ride since we've started, but uh, it's definitely going really, really well. And uh, we appreciate your time in coming on and... I think it's a good one because we'll be able to get a bit of a conversation about the policies uh-huh. that you guys have just released, which uh, was a little bit of music to my ears, a lot of those things. So I've got some questions for you in regards to that, and I'm sure our listeners are really keen to hear some of those because a lot of the things you mentioned, they were things that we have spoken about previously on the podcast. And I guess one of my first questions for you is where did this policy sort of come from? Because it does seem very intricate but very also detailed with a knowledge of of hunting and and what hunters are facing at the moment? Well I suppose it's come from two places. One is liaison with the um, shooting union and the shooting associations to get some feedback about their priorities but it also comes from one of the issues I've raised consistently in the upper house and that is that the number of national parks in New South Wales has just got way out of control There's a political auction that started back in the days of Bob Carr. Every election, there's a new bidding war to see who can announce the most number of national parks. And I've tried as a member of the Upper House to get the data on how many people actually visit this vast number of national parks and state reserves that are about 13% of the New South Wales landmass. And the government won't release the figures. Now, we can all assume that national parks like Blue Mountains and Royal National Park, those around Sydney, are quite popular and well-used. But there's some, I'd say, a significant number around New South Wales that have got little or no use. And you should open them up for for hunting, um, for boating, for fishing, for four-wheel drive, for motorbike, for horse riding. And these are taxpayer-funded facilities. It's public land. And people have got to be able to use it. We just haven't got enough people interested in environmental purposes and bushwalking to make effective use of all the national parks that have been locked up. So open them up for those various uses and let people pursue genuine recreation and also for uh, shooters, hunters, the benefit of uh, clearing out some of the feral animals that uh, cause so much uh, trouble and carnage in these parks. So I think it's a win-win. People get to use these areas and um, we get to rid ourselves of some of the feral pests that would otherwise um, add to the taxpayer's burden. Yeah, I mean, you made a really good point there. And I think in your post, we shared your post because we really liked it. And it wasn't just about for hunters. It was also about those other people using it as well, for driving, fishing, camping, horse riding, motorbikes, which that's such a large sort of audience or that would appeal to so many more people. And the fact that I think you said, I think it's about 13% of national parks are basically sort of locked up and... It is such a restricted access and we know there are so many feral pests in there at the moment. It's, it's a really, it's something that we'd like to see come to fruition. Now, I guess that's the next question. How hard is that going to be to be able to make that happen? Is this, if you guys get 
the power or get the numbers? Is it something that's more likely? If you don't, is it going to be much harder for some of these policies to take effect? Well, that's what elections are there for, to support the people who are going to do the right thing by the general public. And uh, we'd like to get as much support as possible, have the balance of power in the upper house to make these policies a reality. Like, Matt, just today, the New South Wales government has announced a new national park. No one's ever heard of this. Uh, 430,000 square metres locked up, literally at the back of Burke. This is northwest of Burke. And I saw some of the TV pictures this evening, and it's arid, it's barren land, it's hard to believe it would have any tourist attraction or environmental attraction. There didn't appear to be many trees. Like, one of the problems we've got in New South Wales politics, there's sort of an environmental green, tree-hugging mentality that unless you're there communing with nature in these national parks, well, there's something wrong with you. And and, and a lot of the Greens would think four-wheel driving, uh, fishing, boating, motorbike, hunting, all of these are the wrong sort of use, that the only reason you should have a national park is to commune with nature and the environment. Well, I just think that's wrong. Uh, they're, they're setting up national parks where this one that at the back of Burke, there's, there's no trees there to hug. So you might as well... Um, well, I think they shouldn't declare all these areas because it's a, it's a pitch to the green vote at election time. It adds to the taxpayer cost that locks up valuable land. So I don't think they should be doing that. I, I think we could halve the number of national parks in New South Wales quite easily, allow open access to them, declare them to be uh, hunting four-wheel drive, motorbike, boating, fishing facilities, and we wouldn't affect any of the uh, tourism or the environmental purposes at the other parks because they're, they're areas that have just got no use. For instance, um, you know, I mentioned the Blue Mountains National Park earlier on. Matt Keane declared uh, this uh, thing, it's like uh, they call it the Stone Park, near the national the, the Blue Mountains National Park and near Lithgow. And it's like the surface of the moon. It's just full of rocks. And I just can't believe any tourists or environmentalists will go to that park instead of the Blue Mountains National Park, which is actually you know, such a beautiful asset. So let's just be practical about it. You don't need to have 13% of the New South Wales land mass locked up this way. Let's get people in there using it and, and making use of the taxpayers' money that's being spent on them. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense to me, what you're saying, and I think that's it's something we've talked about many times on the podcast. And with the national parks, we, we're really sort of – there's such a large amount with very little income, and we feel that hunting could be a really good purpose for that. I mean, $1.4 billion into the economy is a lot of money, and when you combine hunting and fishing together, it's actually the biggest primary industry here in New South Wales. It overtakes beef cattle. And it's such an underutilised resource, and we've been sort of spruiking that for a while now, jumping up and down and saying, hey, why why are we not getting more sort of traction from our politicians? So it's one nation, I'll be honest, is not one that jumped to mind when we sort of thought about hunting and firearms. Where has that sort of come from? Is that I know there's always been a policy for firearms, but this is um, this is much more, as I said, detailed and intricate. Is that the party sort of where the party want to move to? Is there an opportunity in the current landscape with, um, I guess, the, a bit of a demise in the Shooter Farmers Fishers Party? I think it's really come out of the work in Parliament. I'm very suspicious of government when they won't release the data about how many people visit the different national parks in New South Wales. Now, I tried several times to get that information. They did some surveys. They released some of the numbers for the top 20 uses, uh, national parks, 20 most popular national parks, but all the others, they won't 
tell you how many people visit. I think there are some national parks in New South Wales where there are little or even no visitors each year. And that's a disgrace because what's happened is that major parties say, we're the greenest, we'll have another couple of national parks at election time. So they build up and build up like sediment. And before you know it, you've got national parks that nobody actually uses or visits or would want to. Some of these things, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel now. The one they've announced today, the one near Lithgow, the Rock Park. So it's got to the point of, of, of being absurd. So if government won't provide the data, I reach the conclusion, well, nobody's using these things. What are the uses that would get people out of their house, out in the outdoors, enjoying their recreation? I mean, we have a big focus on mental health, uh, for example. Well, there's nothing better for uh, men in particular to get out there hunting, four-wheel drive, uh, fishing, horse riding, uh, women as well. But I think men's mental health is a real priority at the moment and gets a bit lost in the debate. So it's all those factors. It's all of the above. Um, and, and One Nation, we've never been anti-hunting or anti-shooting, but really when you find out that so much taxpayers' money has been wasted on these locked-up areas and they just add to them and add to them every election time, it's time for someone to say, this is just nutty, it's absurd, Let's just be practical. Let's allow some use that people will enjoy. And when it comes to clearing out the feral pests, uh, the taxpayers are winner. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, that was one we we spoke about previously about the helicopter culling and the aerial culling in the national parks. And I was actually quite taken aback on the figures. I think they, uh, my co-host was saying it's something like sixty to eighty thousand dollars a night to do those culling, and it sort of just baffled me a little bit. Going, well, there's you know couple of hundred thousand hunters out there who would volunteer to be able to access some of these better areas where we're excluded from at the moment and what are either cost saving to the government or um, as a potential income source as well because uh, the North American conservation model I'm not sure if you're aware of that overseas but they charge money for tax and there's a real big income stream, which then goes back into conservation. So it's yeah. sort of a win-win situation, which I like. Yeah, and the, and the shooters on the ground will be more accurate than from the helicopter, I'm sure. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's a big one. They are professionals, but it is much more difficult to shoot out of a yeah, helicopter. Absolutely. Than- I mean, I, I, I'm familiar with the shooting of the Brumbies in the Snowy Mountains yep. National Park, and that just goes to show that these are people that they say they're, 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 they're green in their um, ideology, but um, why are they shooting horses from helicopters? They put a premium on the plants down there. But um, I just think you'd be better off deploying um, recreational and professional hunters to go in on the ground and get the job done much more accurately and efficiently than the huge expense and the danger. It's a lot more dangerous with these helicopters whizzing around and um, uh, they're not as accurate. Uh, and some of the things that, that happened to the Brumbies were, were, you know, were pretty cruel, really. Uh, the animals are just left on the ground, um, you know, in... Wincing in pain, you're better off using hunters on the ground who are going to ping them off accurately. Well, I think that's a good one from an animal welfare point of view too, being ethical and saying, hey, we need to, you know, it doesn't always go to, to plan. I mean, there's uh, inaccuracy does happen, but at least, you know, do the best thing you can for that animal as well. And I think most hunters, sometimes people miss that about hunters, is that most ethical hunters don't want to see anything suffer. And they're going to do absolutely everything to make sure that that's not going to happen. And that's a win from that side as well. So Well, when they hit them from the helicopter then they fly off, they don't really know what's happened on the ground. They've got no guarantee the animal's been put down. And as you say, no hunter wants to see the animal suffer, so there's a better chance of getting a clean and then an effective kill. 
which is, you know, an animal welfare consideration. Okay, so the New South Wales election isn't far away. What, um, what are your thoughts? You've been in the game quite a bit, I mean, and some pretty illustrious sort of titles. I mean, opposition leader of Australia is pretty big up there. How do you see this one going? Is it, is it going to be really hard fought in the trenches here? Is there a lot of seats up to grab, in your opinion? Well, that's the case in every election, but uh, the trend that we've had in recent decades is that the major party vote is falling. Labor and Liberal and National Party vote is down. At minor parties are up. Um, people are turning to alternatives to say, look, we've supported these traditional parties for a long, long while. They haven't got the job done. They're not serious about solutions. A lot of their advertising is just imagery. Try and con the people one more time. So you're getting to a record low major party vote. And, and today there's a poll. The major parties are on about 73%. 27% of people in that poll are saying, I'll go outside Labor, Liberal and National Party and try One Nation, the Greens, other minor parties, independents, of course. So there's a real message there to the major parties. Unless you perform unless you start solving serious problems and get practical things done for people, well, you'll continue to suffer. So I think the time's coming in Australia where um, the, national, the, the national vote, the state vote, may produce um, a lot of support for a minor party that becomes a major party and starts to take over based on performance. So, you know, that's what politics has got to be. You've got to perform for the people. You've got to earn the support that you get. Otherwise, they'll kick you in the bum. Yeah, I mean that's uh, fair enough, and it's uh, we sort of saw that in the, a bit of the last election with some changes, and I think that's we're seeing a lot of things happen. I'm not sure if you're aware around Australia at the moment, but South Australia's just uh, moved to ban bow hunting um, in WA. They're restricting a lot of calibers and things like that. I think it was 48 off the top of my head. There really seems to be a big push to target law-abiding firearms owners, and one of the things I saw in your policy was to you know, make sure that there's some data and some research in what we're putting there and, and not just do a sort of quick fix to appease the public by targeting the people doing the right thing, but really target the criminals. And um, I think I read in there that you want to actually increase the sort of penalties towards them. And I think that's a great idea. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I think targeting the criminals makes sense and changing perception. It's one of the things I notice is that every two years, Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games, we cheer, cheer on our shooters, our target shooters at the, at the Games when they win gold, silver, bronze as heroes, and they are heroes. But why then for the rest of the time, uh, away from Commonwealth and Olympic Games, is this sort of stigma attached to shooting as a legitimate recreational sport? I, I just don't see how the two gel. I would regard recreational shooters as heroes as much as the people who win gold at the Olympic or Commonwealth Games. So let's just sort of get the monkey off the back, uh, get rid of the stigma and recognise that shooting and hunting are legitimate, perfectly legal, perfectly acceptable and indeed very useful recreational activities. So I think a lot of it is changing perception and, and also guarding against two things. You mentioned sort of little changes they make uh, against shooters. You've got to guard against those, but the big worry always if there's you know, something bad happens in the United States or something bad happens here, the media blow it out of proportion and there's calls for even tighter restrictions, more draconian rules uh, that punish uh, law-abiding firearms owners. So that's, you know, that's a cock-up as well. That's upside down. Let's punish the criminals and uh, never punish the law-abiding firearm owners who are doing the right thing and not breaking the law. 
It's funny, we've said that on the podcast previously that I think uh, in New South Wales alone there's a couple hundred thousand firearms owners and firearms and if they were the problem, you'd know about it pretty quickly and they're obviously not. Um, So it is something that the general community feeling is that most governments are against the sort of shooter and the hunter. And There's an assumption. I've seen these debates in Parliament, the Greens, the Animal Justice, the Labor left wing. There's sort of an assumption that there's something wrong with people who have shooting or hunting as their recreation. There's something wrong with these people. We can't you know, tell you in detail what it is, but let's have some tighter laws. I, I think that's just the wrong assumption, the wrong starting point, the wrong stigma. There's nothing wrong with law-abiding firearms owners. Just get off their back. Yep. Uh, look, that, that, that definitely sounds something that we're, uh, we're liking. Do you get a sense that with whichever government gets in, there might be tighter restrictions headed this way? So from a, both a hunting and, you know, we say about it here in New South Wales that the R licence system is fantastic in the fact we have state forest or we have public land. Queensland does not have that. And we're really concerned that with all these things going on around the country, that that's going to be potentially something that they chip away at. Um, is that a sense that you've gotten in Parliament, that those things are, that there's, there's little things being sort of chipped away to remove the rights of firearms owners and also hunters and things like that? And, you know, like banning bow hunting, it's been something that's a tradition, it's a culture, and by taking that away, it's just one more step. Is that sort of a plan, do you think, by some of the parties? Um, it's a risk. Every election brings a new result, new people in Parliament. And one of the groups I worry about a lot, and One Nation is diametrically opposed to them, is the Animal Justice Party, which would ban all hunting and, and, and shooting. You know, their, their philosophy is that um, the, the, the kangaroo or the deer running around in the wild is equal in rights with humans. They put animals on the same level as humans. And they would ban all hunting and shooting. And they think all domestic animals should be freed. They think all domestic animals, it's cruel. You know, we all love our pets. It's just ridiculous. Like, these people are extremists. And uh, the risk is, say Labor was elected at this election with the Greens and animal justice, they might have the numbers in the upper house and they would need animal justice and, and strike deals with them. So there's always a risk when people put together a coalition of parties from the extreme left as to what concessions they'll make. So, you know, these are the trends that we've got to fight and uh, the ballot box is there to try and help the parties that uh, represent your interests rather than a a loopy mob like the Greens or Animal Justice who want to set the animals free and and make sure no one is ever hunting. So that's a good point and I think in some conversations I've had with our listeners and different people, can you sort of just explain a little bit about how how that sort of link up and that coalition sort of gets formed and the dealing that um, different parties do to get things passed? Because I think a lot of people, if they're not interested in politics and they're not understanding how that works, they don't realise the impact some of your votes can have. Yeah, well, it's horse training. Um, the polls indicate that we'll probably get a change in government. The coalition's been in for 12 years. There's an it's time factor. Chris Minns looks pretty harmless out there, I suppose. He's probably not. But that's the way uh, some voters see him. So, you know, they're probably thinking, oh, we'll get a change of government. And Labor in the lower house would have the, the numbers to be uh, in government. Uh, but in the upper house, to get your legislation through, Labor will fall well short. Um, there's You need 21 votes up there. Labor will probably get 14 or 15. The Greens might have four or five and Animal Justice too. So it's very, very close. Can they get to 21? And if they need the Animal Justice votes 
to get through a significant thing for the Labor Party, Animal Justice will say, oh, yeah, we'll vote for that, but we want this concession for our agenda. And if part of that is tighter restrictions on firearm owners and less hunting in New South Wales, then, you know, Labor might say, oh, well, to get our big thing through, we need to give you a little concession for your party. And um, that's how it works. I mean, that's the horse trading and deal making in the upper house where nobody has an absolute majority. Uh, Perite wouldn't have an absolute majority. Mins won't. They've got to put together a coalition of uh, minor party support. And uh, obviously with One Nation, we've got two representatives. We're hoping to have four or five after the election. And there's no way in the world uh, we'll be doing things that are consistent with the animal justice or green agenda. We're 180 degrees against what they believe in. And uh, when it comes to recreational shooting and hunting, uh, we're on the side of people getting out and doing the right thing and enjoying themselves. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. Everyone knows hunters need good glass. And with the Zeiss SFLs or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars, your hunting time will be enhanced with this great bit of kit. Optimised to be as lightweight and compact as possible, the Zeiss SFL binoculars are a great addition to the SF family. The new ultra-high definition concept ensures true-to-life colour reproduction and the highest level of detail. Thanks to its smart focus concept, the focus wheel is perfectly positioned, enabling fast and precise focusing, even with gloves on. Find your local Zeiss stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. And we're back. Do you think, like, so an example here in New South Wales is the duck season. So it was sort of, would it be something that One Nation would look at if they're getting in, like deregulating those things? Because uh, we had a bit of a chat off air and, and talked about the impact that ducks can have on especially the rice farm, uh, rice fields, I should say, and how many, how much damage they can do in a night. It was just the other week we were talking to a farmer and, you know, in a, in a very short period of time, $15,000 plus worth of crops gone. And it's something here, how, is that, is that higher on the agenda as well? Is it more, is One Nation going to be looking at just sort of holding the fort of what shooters and hunters already have or, or pushing for more? I know it's in the policies, but what are the reality of that sort of occurring if you guys were to get those four or five seats? Well, the first job is to hold the line because the trend has been against us um, for so long. So you've got to hold the line. But if you can get some pushback the other way, that's a good thing. One of the myths you've got to debunk is that according to the Greens and Animal Justice, every species of animal is about to become extinct. They say that about koalas. It's just not true. The koalas have had a lot worse fires under the Indigenous pre-1788 than they've ever had in the last five or six years. So the koalas surviving, and quite frankly, it's a total myth to say koalas are becoming extinct because they're, they're the sort of animal that are hard to identify in the bush and they move around a lot, especially in the mating season. You don't know where they are. You just And, and the, when the, those that are tagged, it's incredible how far they move in a short space of time when they get moving. So um, you've got to debunk those myths. Are we ever going to run out of ducks? No, we're not. <laughs> we're never going to. But, but the other mob will say, oh, the ducks will be extinct. That's just baloney. Um, farmers should be able to bring in shooters to deal with the ducks as a pest. They're, they're destroying, destroying livelihoods, destroying enterprise. Um, so I think the farmers should be able to identify a pest and bring the shooters in to deal with the pest. Isn't that just common sense? On farmers, speaking to quite a few farmers out there, they talk about sort of the red tape and the, I guess, legislation around them having recreational hunters come onto a property that the the insurances from 
the like the likes of it, double SAA and and your hunting club because you get I think usually about twenty million public liability. But in talking to a lot of farmers, they say that's actually quite worthless. And that when you come onto the property, they've sort of got to go through like swims and WHS and, and all that sort of thing. Is that something that could be looked at down the track of saying, hey, you know, we need to cut some of this red tape. We need to make it more accessible, but also take that, I guess, hesitancy or fear off farmers so that we can open the doors a little bit. I mean, an example of that is down in Victoria at the moment, they banned, banned someone giving game meat. So if you shoot a deer down there, you can't give away the meat to friends or family. That's actually illegal now. Um, that, it baffles me as to why, but that is what has been put in by the, the Feeding people's illegal. Essentially, feeding yes. people in Victoria, well, that just tells you how crazy they've become. But I'm, I'm a big supporter of farmer property rights. Uh, coming into Parliament four years ago, I've been shocked at the number of areas where the farmers aren't in control of their own property, they're not in control of their own land, and they are subject to some bureaucrat with a clipboard enforcing a whole bunch of crazy rules, whether it's, it's land clearing or construction of dams or, or you know koala habitat or being able to bring um, shooters in to deal with pests. Um, Probably the farmers. Australia had a tradition, we're proud of our farmers, we rode on the sheep's back, it's sort of part of the national ethos. But in truth, when you look at the rule book that's been developed for what you can and can't do, farmers have got more red and green tape than just about any other organisation in our society. And I think it's time to end that and just let farmers get on with what they need to do to run their business, run their farm, run their land and, and, and do it for the good of their family and good of the economy. I mean, we're a great farming nation notwithstanding all these bureaucrats with their clipboards. So it's time to go back to where we started, where we trust the farmers to get on with the job. And, and you know, I'd be happy to rip up 90% of the rules that are just so restrictive and ridiculous. I'm not sure if you've been made aware of the National Feral Deer Action Plan. It's, it's basically been a group um, sort of made up and there's a, a working group that's headed this up and they spent a fair bit of time and money creating and developing this plan. And it's quite concerning to a lot of hunters because one of the big pushes, the way I see it, and I might be wrong, but one of the big pushes that we see in there is about legalising baiting and getting 1080 baits out there. And it's very concerning when you look at places like New Zealand and you look at what's happened with baiting and, you know, that it impacts the waterways and there's this really big push saying 1080 is great, but 1080 derives 98% from plants in Western Australia. And then outside of that... um, the, the tolerance of our native species definitely decreases. That seems to be, in reading the plan, that seems to be one of the bigger pushes for it. And, you know, has One Nation heard about that plan? Is there particular interest in maybe making a submission before the, the cutoff date in March? Yeah, I'd like to find out more about it, but it sounds like it's part of the ongoing trend where there's a bias against hunters and shooters as an obvious solution when it comes to feral deer. Um, we're never going to run out of deer. They're, you know, they're in so many different places and obviously are strong breeders. So you're much better off relying on competent hunters and shooters to clean them out, aren't you, than, uh, than poisons? Well, I, I personally think so because then the meat can be utilised as well and yeah. one of the things that came out of it in reading even some of the WA and, and New Zealand studies, I think the New Zealand Food Safety Authority or their equivalent was basically saying if an area has been poisoned that you shouldn't consume any of the meat for something like three to six months afterwards. So, so there's a vegan push in society and again animal justice leads it but you know, I, I don't like people who, if you're a, a vegan, that's up to the individual. 
But I don't like this uh, business where they assume everyone else should be like them. You know, people got to have choice and freedom. We're losing too many freedoms in this country. And the COVID period is a pretty good example of how government will always go over the top. So, yeah, I'd be happy to find out more about this feral deer plan. But from what I can you know, conclude, and common sense would tell you, that uh, you're better off with competent shooters dealing with them than uh, poisoning the, the ground, the waterways and the environment. So for a few hunters, I guess they're... I think this is probably a big time at the moment where hunters are really unsure of who to vote for. And that comes on the back of, you know, some issues in the Shooter Farmer Fishers Party, people like Philip Donato leaving and Helen Dalton and um, and the like. And some of them is sort of concerned going, okay, well, who, who are we voting for? And it's up in the air, but also... Are those parties going to be advocating? Now, obviously, you can't talk for other parties, but you know, from a One Nation standpoint, are you? If you guys don't get the power or don't get those seats, how would advocacy still look from your party? Well, we've had some of the shooting groups come to us and say, "Look, realistically, and and you've got to be realistic to to get the job done. Realistically, One Nation is going to have more people in Parliament after this election, particularly in the upper house, than the shooters." So. They've said to us, look, you know, can you protect our interests and fight for us? And we've said, yeah, sure. We've always wanted to. Uh, and it's unfortunate what's happened with the Shooters Party. Um, I don't go much on Helen Dalton. She sort of veered to the left and I've got an office near the Greens and she's in and out of those Greens offices all the time. So I hope she gets voted out. But I've got a lot of time for Roy Butler and, and, and Phil Donato, um, good guys. It's unfortunate. I don't exactly know what's happened inside the party, but the, the split is real and, and, and obviously damaging for them and, and nobody likes to see it. But realistically, One Nation will be there to, to fight for the interests of firearm owners, shooters, hunters and all those other recreational groups that I've mentioned. And I think one thing people know about One Nation is that, we, you know, we love a fight. We're not uh, going to surrender and, and, and run the other way, wave the white flag. We're a party of fighters. We get stuck in. We've got a pretty good record the last four years in the New South Wales Upper House and we'll continue to do that according to the policy we've released. You know, everything that we believe in and we tell people about, unlike the major parties, we get stuck in and fight for it 100%. So what's your background, I guess, Mark, from a, a shooting and hunting perspective? Have you had much to do with it? Are you, um, have you ever shot before? Have you hunted? Just so our listeners sort of get a bit of a gauge of yourself. Uh, yeah, I was a federal member of, of parliament at Cameltown there. Um, I was... Uh, uh, involved in, in in trying to help the uh, the shooting range at Kent Lynn to uh, get some tenure. I think that's a big issue. It's part of our policy that the shooting ranges, particularly in Western Sydney, with population growth, they haven't got land tenure and security for staying there. I'd like to see government do a lot more on that front. So I was familiar with that shooting range and the one uh, you know out the back of uh, Warrombi. I've been up there, and uh, it's not my sport. I suppose I haven't really got a sport other than watching a bit of rugby league as a suffering, long-suffering Dragons fan. Um, we're going terrible. We've had the off-season from hell. So, look, I haven't got uh, time for active recreation, but, uh, you know, I'm a serious parliamentarian. I analyse the policies. We've put this policy out because we believe in it, and it's there to represent shooting groups who are very worried about their future. Uh, they despair also that the Shooters' Party has had these problems, and they're looking to One Nation to step up and play a bigger role. And if we can do that, I can guarantee you we absolutely will. I guess that's the next question you've let on well there is how worried should like the shooting and hunting industry sort of be at the moment that if 
the majors get in or say Labor get in and they team up with the Greens, Greens and Animal Justice Party, how damaging could that next sort of period be for the shooter and the hunter? Yeah, very. It's, it's a huge worry. I mean, we've had 12 years of coalition government have sort of veered to the green left with Matt Keane and people like that and all their announcements about national parks. So they're a worry, but quite truthfully, a Labor, Green, Animal Justice Alliance in the upper house is an even bigger worry. So we're hoping that we can block that, that we can have the 21 votes on our side um, for a bit more common sense and to frustrate the worst aspects of uh, a men's government legislation. Uh, I hope that Robert Borzak's re-elected and is there with us because we, we need every number we can get. You know, the Parliament, the last four years, One Nation and the Shooters have been in lockstep. There'd be very, very few votes where we've gone in a different direction, very few indeed. So we've been good supporters of each other, but realistically One Nation's going to have more MPs and, 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 and we need to take the lead in protecting the interests of uh, people who'll come under attack from a Labor, Left, Green, Animal Justice Coalition. From a shooting and hunting perspective, and that's what the podcast is aimed at, look, a lot of those other things go hand in hand, such as the four-wheel driving, the camping, the fishing. Is there... I'm not sure if you're aware, but like even from a fishing perspective over in WA, they're talking about massive lockouts and things like that. I guess, is there much scope in there to make sure, as you said, sort of toe the line previously, but how does it work from you and your party going, all right, what do we need to target? What are the things that we really do need to hold in the line? How do you prioritise those things? Do you guys have like sort of advisors or how does that work? Oh, we've got advisors, but I suppose our, our main barometer, our point of reference is if animal justice are advancing an agenda, you'll find us opposing it. Like in our parliament, animal justice moved in terms of um, fish protection that uh, crustaceans, crabs and the like, lobsters should come under the animal protection laws that you wouldn't be able to fish for lobster and crab um, because they're supposed to be sentient beings. They've got feelings and emotions um, like humans. I mean, this is sort of from another planet, I find, the idea that a crab is somehow on an equal footing with a human. So um, this is the problem we've got. Uh, We need to go back to the basic philosophy. Humans have mastered nature. And we're not cruel to nature. We're not unreasonable to nature. But we, as the intelligent species, have mastered nature and turned nature to our use. We live in comfortable homes and good lives. And if you want to go out and do a bit of recreational hunting and all these other recreational activities out there in nature, well, these areas have got to be for people, not for animals and plants. I often make a a speech, partly tongue-in-cheek, there's a lot of truth in it in in the parliament, that we have a a food chain, a batting order in One Nation. Humans come first and um, animals come second, plants come third, and then you come down to, you know... um, COVID and, and cancer and various diseases and, and, um, and, and, and problems, and then we put the Greens last. So we say that. We say the Greens are at the bottom of the pecking order behind all those other things. They, they never like being behind uh, serious diseases, but it's, it's, it's set in jest. But the serious point is, and, and Matt, it might seem strange to your listeners that someone in Parliament needs to argue this point, but there are people who be elected, and they're probably going to be elected again on the 25th of March, who think that plants and animals are on an equal footing with humans and have rights equal to that of you and me and our families and everyone we know of humankind. So this is a strange, strange mutant um, 
uh, ideology that's crept into our politics. And unless sensible people, normal people stand up against it, we're going to be overwhelmed by it. That's one thing that's really always sort of fascinated me a little bit is that there's a lot of people out there that just don't understand that humans are an apex predator. And that, yes, we've been, as you just said, we've removed ourselves from, I guess, living on the landscape. We're now in nice, comfortable houses and things like that. But there is this un, there's this problem out there that the animals can breed without population checks. And that becomes an issue. And a lot of, a lot of the, the Greens and the AJP and things like that, in my opinion anyway, is that they're not out there in the bush they're in you know redfern or they're in the city that's right and there's a problem because they're not actually understanding or seeing what's going on out there and it's being hit so you know like it's it's so true all the things they're opposed to they have no practical first-hand experience like they want to ban greyhound racing and i say in the parliament how many of you people have ever been to a greyhound racing they say none of us we stood outside protesting well come in and you'll find out how much the owners and trainers love their animals love the dogs and the dogs are born to run. So, again, how many of them have ever been uh, on a shooting range? How many of them have got out of Paddington and Balmain and, 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 and travelled around the state, visited these national parks and seen how little use there is? So they do this in the abstract. They, they do it from a comfortable position driven entirely by ideology instead of the practical needs of, of, of the people. Now, you said something in one of your policies talking about um, supporting returned servicemen and women um, and stopping them getting sort of subjected or treated as a second-class citizen when applying for firearms licences. Do you have sort of much information or data about that? I haven't personally heard of that previously. Uh, the shooting organisation said that to us, and I would have thought returned servicemen and women would be sort of given deluxe treatment by the firearm registry, and those registries need to be more customer-friendly, more reasonable, less uh, dictatorial, and, uh, yeah, I think there's a cultural change that's needed. Yep, no, that I appreciate those comments because it's it's something that um, from I'm sure the, I'm sure those that informed you made you aware that the PTAs and things like that that's a permit to acquire a weapon, uh, yeah, firearm. Yeah, problem, problem. If you if you give bureaucrats fifty percent power, a few weeks later they've got a hundred percent. So they've always got to keep it in perspective, and they're only there. They're, they're funded by the taxpayer. They're there to serve the public, not themselves. Yep, and I guess one of the ones. I, look, I really liked is the tougher penalties for crimes. And, you know, from a responsible firearms owner and a law-abiding one as well, it's one I feel that the the community don't hear much about that and the community here, as you said sort of previously, is that sensationalism by the media that something happens, whether it be a shooting in the United States or something like a tragedy like what happened up in Queensland and then all of a sudden it's let's ban, let's let's impact firearms owners. Do you have any idea what that would sort of look like from a, you know, the, the tougher penalties? Are we talking... Um, life? Are we talking 15 years? Are we talking what, you know, is there sort of, have you looked into that a bit more? Yeah, well, I, my parliamentary colleague, Rod Roberts, is a former police officer. So he looks after our law and order policy. And he's got some really good ideas about toughening the system because the legal system has gone soft. And the number of people now who get uh, a reduced sentence for an early plea or mental health or drug use is even an excuse now um, is unacceptable. So across the board, we want to toughen penalties. But when it comes to illegal firearm use and crime, well, you know, if someone obviously um, is involved in murder or manslaughter, they should get life. That's my opinion. 
And I think that's a community standard. And, and to help our police officers, the best thing you can do to help the police is get the crims off the street and keep them locked up. You know, there's so many um, uh, criminals now, uh, not just in, in, in firearm uh, crime, but um, across the board are on these community correction orders and they're, they're free on the street. And uh, the government's not fair income in ensuring that victims are looked after, victims of crime are looked after, and that the sentencing system is hard rather than soft. I mean, it makes sense to me, and hopefully it does to our listeners as well. Because we, we, we run on the basis that if you do the wrong thing in society, you know, society should come down on you like a ton of bricks. If you're doing the right thing with legitimate activities that don't harm other people and actually helpful out there, well, you should be rewarded with that and, and given as much freedom as possible. You know, it's the basic rule of, you know, John Stuart Mill set this up, you know, the basic rules of small L liberalism. Unless someone is doing something to harm others, well, let them go. There's no role for government. Just let them go. I think, look, I agree with all those things. And one of the things for me, looking at the, the national parks thing and opening them up, what do you reckon is the real, I said, the, the possibility of that happening? Like, is it? Is there other parties out there that feel that way? Is it the, yeah, are the majors yeah, when, looking at this stuff? Yeah, when I raised this in Parliament and, and said that uh, 50% of these parks could be... Uh, the park status, just open them up entirely. You know, some of the Green MPs fell off their chairs. and But I challenged them to demonstrate where is the use. You can have so many parks, you've run out of environmentalists to go use them, communing with nature. So where is the use? The government won't release the figures. So, um, you know, we, we need to be realistic about that and I'll continue to argue that and try and persuade people in Parliament that if people aren't using these parks, we need to find alternative users and there's plenty of them available who want to get out there for valid recreation. But the other trend that's a worry is handing these uh, parks over to uh, Indigenous groups, like they've done at Mount Warning at the back of Mwoolumbar in the north of the state. And there's a fight there, is it the right Indigenous group? Inevitably, there's a second Indigenous group that says, oh, no, they're not the custodians of the land. But at Mount Warning, you can't climb the peak. You can't use a photographic image of the mountain for tourism and promotional purposes. And women have even been banned. So, you know, I don't know why Indigenous who've got their land rights system, federal and state, uh, the Mabo decision in place, why they need to be allocated custodianship of national parks where they obviously haven't been living and haven't been hunting uh, for quite some time. So, you know, it can get worse and part of our role in the upper house is to stand in the way of the things that are just plain crazy. Yeah. Is there any other messages you want to get out there to sort of our listeners who are, you know, unsure of who to vote for in this upcoming election and, and what your party is going to be, you know, really pushing for? Uh, well, we've covered a lot of ground and, and I thank you for the time to talk about the policy. Um, I just urge people to, you know, take an interest in, in the election because uh, it can be very important if you have a change of government, as, as we've discussed, and to have a look at the policies of the different parties and cast your vote. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter who I vote for, I just end up with another set of politicians. Well, it's not really like that when you get a change of government and, and these important issues are at stake. So study it carefully if you can, and I hope you can see fit to support One Nation. We've got good policies and we've been um, purposeful and stable and united over the last four years and we're, we're going to grow as a group in the parliament. And um, I hope people think One Nation... With, with me as the leader, you get value for that, that, um, you know, when the whips are cracking and the issues are tough and the debates are on in Parliament, we're in the middle of the fight, you know. Uh, 
We love a fight at one level and fighting for the things we believe in, whereas so many politicians are wimps these days. So I hope people recognise with One Nation you get a party of committed fighters and people who stand up for our beliefs. Look, we uh, really appreciate your time and coming in here and, and getting the message out there. And I um, I do urge all our listeners out there to take a big interest in this New South Wales election. We're seeing what's going on in other states, especially WA, especially in SA, and, and even in Victoria with what happened with the current duck season. And it's really important that we know what's going on and we make informed decisions. So, uh, as I said, we really appreciate your time on coming on and um, talking about the policies and it's quite articulate, so um, thanks again. Thanks for your time. It's a shame we didn't have Dodge here, but, uh, Matt, it's been a great discussion and good luck with your podcast, which is going great guns. That really pardon, appreciate Pardon it. the pun, great guns. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> is there anywhere people can find you on your social medias or get uh, more info? Yeah, I'm on, on Twitter there and um, most particularly at my Facebook page has all the policy releases, Mark Latham's Outsiders. So if you go to Facebook, Mark Latham's Outsiders, you'll see the policies we've released, not just for hunting and and firearms, but also the recreational fishing policy we've released, plus all the other things we talk about with schools and energy policy, health and the like. So, yeah, we're a party that has a lot of uh, commitments and policies and and we like to fight for all of them. All right. Best of luck for the upcoming election. Thank you. uh, Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.